Thank you for tuning in to our Wednesday evening service at Pleasant Valley South Baptist Church. I invite you to take your Bible or your electronic device and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. I've titled the message this evening, The Doorkeeper and His Faithful Church. The focal passage for tonight's message is going to be Revelation 3, 7, and 8. But before we get to it, I want us to look together at Revelation 3, 20. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. There's a famous painting that depicts the message of this verse. Upon closer examination, you'll notice that there is no handle or doorknob on the side where Christ stands knocking. The message the artist is presenting is a biblically accurate understanding of the truth of this verse, which is salvation is available to all. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost, but the gift of salvation can only be claimed by faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary through God's amazing, awesome grace. You know, in Acts chapter 16, in response to the Philippian jailer's desperate plea, what must I do to be saved? The apostle Paul responded, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So although Jesus could spread a, a blanket of salvation on all people, he so ordained that each individual must confess their sins. They must reach out by faith and open the door of their heart and invite him in. Also remember that Revelation 3.20 in its larger context is the Lord's message to the lukewarm church at Laodicea to which he said, because you are neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Christ was not in the church at Laodicea even though he decided he desired to be, but he would only enter if they would open the door and invite him in. However, in sharp contrast to the church at Laodicea was the church at Philadelphia, we'll call the faithful church. So in Revelation 3, verses 7 and 8, we read, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, if there was a, a painting depicting the message of this passage, Christ would still be standing at the door on which there is just one handle, but here the handle would be on the side where Jesus stands. And instead of being closed, the door would be wide open, for the Lord has opened it. And the inference is that no one except the Lord can close that door. As we examine this passage tonight, we're going to discover that this open door leads us as God's children into kingdom service opportunities, ministry and mission privileges the Lord provides for all of his faithful followers. In each of the seven letters written to actual first century churches in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, 
The Lord introduces himself with a description that reflects his character. So in in verse 7, we find the description of the doorkeeper. First of all, the doorkeeper is holy. He's holy. As used to describe the Lord, the word holy means totally separated from sin. It means that his character is absolutely unblemished and flawless. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul describes the Lord as him who knew no sin, absolutely holy. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is described as the Holy One, a designation for the sinless Son of God, the Messiah. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 24, we see that where a terrified demon cried out, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons knew who he was. In his announcement to Mary in Luke 135, the angel described Jesus as that Holy One who is to be born. In John chapter 6 and verse 69, Peter said to the Lord, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, not only is the divine doorkeeper holy, we see he's also true. Five other times in the book of of Revelation, truth is combined with holiness to describe the Lord Jesus. The Greek word translated true here means genuine, authentic, real. The Lord said of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In a world filled with deceptions and lies, the Lord Jesus Christ is still the truth. Well, not only is he holy and true, we see here that the divine doorkeeper is also the possessor of the key of David. In Scripture, a key always represents authority. And in Revelation 5.5 and 22.16, David symbolizes the Messianic office. So, therefore, as the possessor of the key of David, Jesus alone determines who enters his Messianic kingdom. Well, the last description of the divine doorkeeper here is the controller of the door. Jesus is the controller of the door. It says, for he opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and no one opens. This describes Christ's all-powerfulness, the word omnipotence. Nothing he does can be overturned, for he is all-powerful. No one can shut the doors to the kingdom or to kingdom blessings if Christ holds them open, and no one can force them open if he holds them shut because He does have sovereign control over his church. There's a characteristic of God's open doors of opportunity for his church that we dare not forget. And here it is. God's doors of opportunity that are not entered by faith will eventually close. Let me say that again. God's doors of opportunity that are not entered by faith will eventually close. Many years ago, Henry Blackaby and Claude King wrote 
experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. And they state this principle this way. When we see God at work, that is his invitation for us to join him in that work. If we delay, the opportunity to join him is gone. We need to understand that when we see God at work, we don't need to wait for a special invitation where he invites us to come in and join him in his work for our recognition of his work is our invitation. If we hesitate, the door of opportunity will close. You see, God doesn't need us to accomplish his work, but rather he gives us the honor of joining him in that work, of, of working with him to accomplish his kingdom purposes. If we neglect this invitation, we forfeit the blessings he has for us. Notice with me now the delight of the doorkeeper. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus said, I know your works. I know your works. Along with the church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia received no rebuke from the Lord, unlike the other five churches in Revelation 2 and 3. The Lord could find nothing in their ministry that caused him concern. It wasn't a perfect church, for it certainly had some imperfections, but the Lord commended The church at Philadelphia commended its members for their faithfulness and their loyalty to his calling. I read about a seminary professor who was approached by one of his students who was about to graduate and asked if he would recommend him to a good church. The enthusiastic but inexperienced pastor-to-be asked, do you know of a church without any problems where I could go and serve? The professor responded, son, a church without problems doesn't exist. But if I did know of one, I wouldn't recommend you because then you'd go and ruin it. No, there's no such thing as a perfect church because the church is made up of imperfect people. Bible scholar Dr. John MacArthur says that the church is not a place for people with no weaknesses. Rather, it is a fellowship of those who are aware of their weaknesses and long for the strength and the grace of God to fill their individual roles in its ministries. The church at Philadelphia was blessed with believers who were faithful and obedient to the Lord. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership, and they were committed to worship and service in his kingdom. And for this, they received his commendation. The Lord identified three characteristics or marks that define the congregation at Philadelphia. First was the mark of omnipotence, for it had a little power, a little power. Even though this may appear to be a negative attribute on the surface, it was actually a commendation for their strength and power. Let me explain. From what Bible scholars can ascertain, the church at Philadelphia was small in numbers but had a powerful impact on the city. The majority of its members were probably poor from the lower classes of society. However, despite its small size and limited financial resources, spiritual power flowed from that church. Their little power, energized by the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit, 
produced a dynamic fellowship that impacted the entire city of Philadelphia with the gospel as many came to accept Christ. You know, Jesus promised when he was telling his followers about sending the Holy Spirit, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And it is that power, that, that dunamis in the Greek, that dynamite power that we can depend on in order to accomplish God's kingdom purposes. We can't do it in our own strength. It is when a church believes it has much strength in and of itself that it becomes less dependent on the Holy Spirit and therefore becomes less powerful. It begins to take credit for what God is doing and they forfeit the blessings that God has for that church. Well, the second characteristic or mark that defined the Philadelphia church was the mark of obedience. He said, you have kept my word. You have kept my word. Like Job, they could say, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. They had an insatiable appetite and a longing, a hunger for the word of God, and they feasted on it regularly. Not only did they ingest the word of God, they lived lives in obedience to it. You know, we can, we can have all the Bible studies we want. We can study the Word of God until, uh, until we're just saturated with the Word of God. But God wants us to take His Word and to apply it. The truth of the Word is of no good if it's not applied in our lives. So when we, we ingest it, but then we abide in His Word so that His Word might live through us. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. John 14, 21, he said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. In other words, our obedience to the Lord's word, to his commandments, is evidence of the fact that we have a genuine love for him. Well, the third mark that characterized the church at Philadelphia was the mark of obligation. Jesus said, you have not denied my name. You know, in first century Christianity, that was a temptation for all because persecution was ever-increasing. The more they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more they were opposed, the more that they were mistreated uh, for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus says, you have not denied my name. The Christians in the Philadelphia church remained loyal to Christ, irregardless of the cost of what it might cost them, even their own very lives. In Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, You have not denied my name. Finally, there is the decree of the divine doorkeeper. Jesus said, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Here the picture of Christ opening the door symbolizes his gift of opportunities for service to the faithful church at Philadelphia. Their strategic location at the junction of several important trade routes Earning the title Gateway to the East provided the church with innumerable opportunities to share the gospel, 
to the far reaches of the first century world. As they obediently ministered in Jesus' name and shared the gospel with those passing through Philadelphia, the good news spread like wildfire to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. They had an impact that, that far, uh, sp- spread far out beyond the boundaries of that church at Philadelphia. And God commended them for that. So God's commendation for the church at Philadelphia, for enter the doors of opportunity he opened to them, shows his pleasure with their obedience. You know, as we think about this passage, and as I said earlier, if we just read this and study it but don't apply it, then it is of no use to us. If we were to ask the Lord to evaluate Pleasant Valley South Baptist Church, would we have words of commendation or words of condemnation? I believe the Lord would have many words of commendation for the church here. I believe as as he looks at Pleasant Valley South, he's pleased by our obedience in the past in walking through those doors of kingdom service opportunities that he's provided for us. And there have been many, and I, I don't have time to go through all of those, but I, I, I want to, I believe the greatest impact that we as a church have had on lostness has been in the mission in Ukraine. When the Lord called me here back in 2006 to lead the Pleasant Valley South Missions Outreach Ministry. Phil asked me to join him in prayer that we might seek God's will for our international mission emphasis. You know, there were opportunities through the International Mission Board, opportunities everywhere to go and to to share the gospel, take mission teams and have an impact on, on the lost world. But we wanted to be exactly where God wanted us to be. We soon agreed that a mission to the country of Ukraine was where the Lord was leading us, primarily because I had already been there. I had seen the hand of the Lord at work in Ukraine, primarily in the Kharkiv region of Ukraine, northeastern Ukraine. And so I, the fact that I had seen that, as Phil and I talked and, and prayed about this, we saw this as God's invitation for us to join him in that work there that he was already doing. Not that we were going to go there and create ministry. Not that we were going to come up with a great program in order to impact, but to see God's hand at work and accept this as his invitation to join him in that work there. Well, as the Lord began to shape our vision about what this mission should look like, it became obvious that we should focus on medical missions. Now, if you're not familiar with how that works, uh, the way we do it here and the way many churches uh, do medical missions is they have a medical team that goes into a, another country and they provide medical care, Some, sometimes giving away free medicine, uh, uh, you know, um, just, just ministering to the people uh, through the medical clinic. And um, we, we just, because of what God was doing in, in the church here, we, seemed, we, we, we come to agree that that's the direction that the Lord was leading us. And, and the reason, one reason we did that, we began to look at who God had brought into this church. Well, he had equipped us with a doctor in Kevin Hardwell. He had equipped us with two pharmacists in Brent Smith and David Gower, and later brought William Fricks along as uh, a part of this mission team. 
He he equipped us with a mission specialist in Brenda Gale Baldwin and a host of other volunteers to serve as eager assistants. I remember when we first began to present to the church the opportunities that we felt like the Lord was providing for us in Ukraine, the interest was just, it was unbelievable. And I had so many people come and say, you know, I this will be, this will take me out of my comfort zone. I really don't know what I can do, but I, I just feel like God is leading me. And I just want to, I just want to be a willing participant. I just want to, I just want to follow God's leadership in being a part of this. And that's, God honored that commitment. Through our Ukrainian partners, the Lord provided a familiarity with the, with the culture, the language, the logistical expertise, and a, a strong commitment to evangelization. Pastor Vitaly and the church at, at uh, Christmas Church in, in Kharkiv, Ukraine, on a weekly basis, were going out into their neighborhoods, into, uh, on the outskirts there of the, uh, the city of Kharkiv, and, and evangelizing on the streets. Uh, they could have been arrested for that. They could have been, certainly could have been ridiculed and uh, brought some circumstances on them that they did not, would not have wanted, did not desire. But God led them. And because of that, it was God's leadership and, and, the, and the Lord's empowerment. They were bold witnesses for Christ throughout Kharkiv, Ukraine. And so the Lord used that to begin, as we began to meet together and plan what the Lord was going to do, we could see how there were things that we could do the American team could do that the Ukrainians couldn't do. And, if, and certainly there were many things that the Ukrainian Christians could do that we couldn't do. But when it all came together, it was a beautiful picture of what God could accomplish across many diversified lines, language, culture, so many things. You know, it's, it's a blessing that we didn't have to learn Russian because as hard as that language is, it would have taken us years to be able to even develop some conversational. But God provided through uh, Christmas Church and through Nadia's training uh, interpreters, provided us with numerous excellent interpreters who could take our words and translate into their language and then take their words and translate into ours. So it was just, as God began to put this together, it was just obvious that the Lord was in it. And it was a, a team of like-minded servants of the Lord committed to doing whatever was necessary to effectively communicate the gospel of Christ to the lost people all throughout Ukraine. After two years, God led us to begin the vision clinics. And this opened up many more doors of opportunity for us. We went and were, I took a small team of those who wanted to be involved in the vision clinic, and we went to a, a training session in Alabama where an eye doctor trained us how to give eye exams with just basic equipment. And we could, we could uh, through these eye exams, we could determine their, their prescription and then present them with a pair of glasses. And, of course, just like with the medical teams, the reason for this, the reason we gave medicine, the reason we gave free medical exams, the reason that we gave glasses was that it would provide opportunities for us to share the gospel. We use God's Word in the that Jesus told uh, to open up those doors and say, you know, just like, just like the, uh, the Lord went to this particular village to heal this person who was sick, God sent us here to provide you with much needed medicine that can heal you. Or uh, just as God sent uh, his son Jesus to a village where there was a blind man, Jesus brought 
healing. He gave that man sight. God has sent us here so that we might be able to present you with this pair of glasses because God loves you that much. He sent us all this way in order to communicate to you his love. And so the Lord used the medical clinics and the vision clinics to draw the lost people to him. After we had been there for three years, the Lord began to work in Vitaly's life. And a lot of the ministry around Kharkiv, Kharkiv being a city of one and a half million people, large metropolis, people were, um, they were interested in the medicine, they were interested in the glasses, but the results, those who came to know Christ, they were, they were very few. And uh, Vitaly began to pray about this and seek God's will. And he said, you know, it seems like we're just expending a lot of resources and not seeing a lot of results. And so the Lord began to lead him to look in different areas uh, for us to do ministry. And Pastor Vitaly knew a pastor in Krasnograd, Pastor Vladimir, that had a like passion for evangelism and reaching his community and his, the people uh, there in his city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he began to, to talk with Pastor Vladimir and they agreed that the Lord was leading them to begin ministry there. So we went, we shifted our focus 60 miles southwest to Krasnograd and pastor with Pastor, with, with pastor Vladimir and Krasnograd Church and uh, opening up many doors of opportunity in the, the numerous surrounding villages around Krasnograd. Not only there in Krasnograd proper, a city of about 30,000, but in many, many villages in, on the outskirts away from uh, the, the city where we could present the gospel. In 2014, we faced a, what I like to call a crisis of belief. That was the year that you may remember when Russia sent their troops into southern Ukraine, captured Crimea, and then began to advance northward uh, with their army. You know, the question for us was, are we to return to Ukraine and trust the Lord for his safety and protection? Or are we to allow fear to keep us away? And it was a hard decision. I certainly had never been in a country at war. Neither had any of our other mission partners. And we just committed that to the Lord. And you know, the Lord gave not only me, but they, that entire mission team that year, he gave us a peace about that. And it was a confirmation. The Lord said, it doesn't, I know it doesn't make sense. It seems to fly in the face of common sense. But I'm, I'm calling you to go. That door is still open. I have the door standing open for you to go and to continue the ministry with your Ukrainian partners there. So we went that year. It was different for sure. But the Lord protected us. Every time we would get into an area where the, the tensions were high, the Lord protected us. And it was just amazing to see. The thing that was different that year is that the people, yes, they wanted the medicine and they wanted the glasses. But the main question they were asking is, why are you here? Why, why have you come into a country at war? What would make you do such a thing as that? And, of course, it just opened up so many opportunities for us to share the gospel. God honored the fact that we trusted him. We took a step of faith through that open door 
that year. And, you know, I, I don't know how many. I know that something changed that year. And whereas before that, we would see 15, maybe 20 people come to, to accept Christ as a result of our week of ministry there in Ukraine. After that, Vitaly was saying, and we had 200 this year. We had 150. We had, we had 250 people that made professions of faith. And the great thing about that ministry is the moment we leave, those Ukrainian pastors are, are meeting with those new converts and those who have expressed an interest in the ministry. And they begin to disciple them. And many more come to know Christ as a result of their Bible study groups. And churches were formed. And so it was just a beautiful picture of God working through us. But it changed that year. And I know that it was because we were willing to take a step of faith through a door that God continued to hold open for us. And it changed everything about the ministry there. I, I would say a conservative estimate of the number of salvations, those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior in our 15 years of ministry there, I would say conservatively 800 people. I think the number could be higher than that. But I think that's a, that's a conservative estimate. You know, if we had not took that step of faith through that door that Christ held open for us, many of these people, probably many who have already died, but many of them would have spent eternity in hell forever separated from God. And God used us to have an impact, to bring the gospel in many areas where it would have probably never been presented. Well, if you've been keeping up with the news, you know that a similar situation than that in 2014 exists today in Ukraine. The 2021 Ukraine mission team is faced with the same decision. The only thing that's different now, uh, the troops have amassed on the border, the Ukrainian-Russian border. No one knows what's going to happen, even though Putin did say a few days ago that he's ordered them to withdraw. The experts say that they'll, may, they might withdraw, but it won't be far. They're still going to be close. But the thing that's different this time is the coronavirus Right now, they're in their third wave of the coronavirus in Ukraine, and more people are dying now than they have in the first two. So it's, it's really caused us to question again, is that door still open? And I just want you to know, I don't know that yet. It seems that it's too much. It seems that we will not be able to go. But if we make that determination, what we're saying is that God has closed that door. And I can't say that right now. So I'm, I'm asking you as the church and other believers who may be tuned in and listen to this message to help us pray. Pray that we will follow God's will. And if he has left that door open and kept it open for us to walk through in faith, and go to Ukraine and continue our ministry there, that we will have the faith, the strength, the courage to take that, that step.
Well, Jesus continues to say to his church here at Pleasant Valley South, look, I have set you an open door and no one can shut it. The question is, how will we respond? Will we continue to respond in faith in the Lord's leadership? My prayer is that it will continue to be by faith and not by sight. As the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. We want to be pleasing to God in the ministry and the mission that we offer up to him. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the open doors you provide for us to join you in your kingdom work. We thank you, Lord, for what you've allowed us to be a part of in Ukraine and in Peru and throughout the United States and right here in our own backyard. Many lives that we've been able to impact for you through the years. And we pray, God, that we will remain steadfast and willing to follow your leadership, Lord. And when you show us that open door, Father, that we will go forward in faith and join you in that mission. We thank you, Lord, that you've privileged and honored and blessed us to be able to work with you in your kingdom work. And we just pray you'll continue to do that, Lord. And we thank you for those opportunities you'll provide for us. And we pray this prayer in thanksgiving in the name of our Savior, your son, Jesus. Amen.